0: Welcome back, my friends, to AA Recovery Interviews. I'm your host, Howard L., and I'm an alcoholic. Sober since January 1st, 1988, one day at a time. I'm grateful you've joined us. When the pandemic hit last year and the 2020 AA International Convention in Detroit was canceled, I was very disappointed that I wouldn't have the opportunity to meet AAs from around the country and the world. Fortunately, AA meetings rapidly turned into Zoom meetings, and through them, I've met some of the nicest people in the world. My guest on today's podcast, Mary Celine L., is one of those people. As I heard her share time and time again in a couple of Zoom meetings we both attend regularly, I was enthralled by her shares. The wisdom she conveyed was that of one who'd fought hard and suffered much in her battle for sobriety. With multiple stints in AA since 1999, Her relapses became increasingly miserable and hopeless. When she finally claimed her current sobriety date in 2013, it was at the desperate end of round-the-clock drinking. From the ashes, her AA program was reignited under the careful guidance of a loving sponsor, whom it appears God placed in her life. From there grew her humble commitment to reside in the middle of the program, replete with the kind of service upon which truly solid sobriety can be based. As you listen to Mary Selene's story, you're likely to identify with many of her experiences, as I did. Her cautionary yet instructive tale inspires gratitude that the teller survived and returned to the program to convey such a vital message of experience, strength, and hope. That she survived to become an active member with contented sobriety, living in the middle of the herd, is proof that surpasses all understanding that AA does indeed work, if we work it. For this podcast, the 28th episode in AA Recovery Interviews, please allow me to share with you the next 60 minutes with my friend and AA sister, Mary Celine L.
1: Hello, my name is Mary Celine, and I'm an alcoholic.
0: Hi, Mary Celine. I'm so glad that you were able to join us this morning. This is a really uh, kind of a momentous morning in that yesterday, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention lifted the mandate for masking and social distancing, which is huge for AA. Had you heard about that?
1: Yes, I have. And it is very exciting. It's been a long year plus.
0: It has, hasn't it? Have you had the opportunity to go to any live meetings since last year at all?
1: I attend a beach meeting on Sunday Mm -hmm. mornings, a big book meeting. And Uh I live in Florida on the East Coast near the beach. And I love that beach meeting we uh, read a chapter from the big book, and then uh, we have a little swim break in between, so and then come back and, yeah, so it's really a different kind of meeting, but it's beautiful because it's in the morning, and the energy Uh is fresh, and it's very um, peaceful and meditative.
0: Sounds really invigorating, too. It is. That's the first AA meeting I've ever heard of where people wear their bathing suits to it. That is... (laughs) (laughs)
1: Well, in the winter, we're not wearing bathing suits. It actually can get quite cool here, and that's fun too. You know, sit in the fresh air and the breeze, and it's great.
0: Yeah. Well, before we go any further, I just want people to know that Mary Celine is your first name and your last initial is L just so people won't think that I'm using Mary with Celine as your last name that we'll get that uh, out of the way up front
1: the first meeting I went to and I said hi I'm Mary Celine somebody said no last names
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I said no it's my first name
0: so you've been doing Zoom meetings and I guess that's where you and I met last year was at the Zoom meetings out of London, of all places. Right, right. So this American invasion of London, or of, of Great Britain <laughs> that you and I have been a part of, how did you find your way to those meetings?
1: There is a woman in my home group in, down here in mm-hmm. Florida that... Um, lives part of the year in London. And Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about Zoom Mm -hmm. when the pandemic came. She was back in London at the time and Mm -hmm. sent a message and said, oh, there's this Zoom meeting if you want to try it. Uh So I started going to a meeting over there and I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the people over there. I felt immediately at home. Mm -hmm. And then I started a Zoom meeting here for my local home group.
0: Have you done any hybrid meetings there in Florida where you have a Zoom and a live component?
1: I have not. I haven't tried one of those yet. Most of the meetings here are either or.
0: Yeah, I get that. We have a couple of meetings here that we actually did our first hybrid meeting of one of my groups the other day, and it really worked very, very well. The men who set it up were using their laptops and external speakers and that sort of thing. And then yesterday, a very large men's meeting that I go to had about 45 men in the room over at the church that we normally meet at. And then we had about 35 guys who were on the Zoom. And we had a big screen in front and an LCD projector and external mics. And it was about as seamless as you can get. It was very cool the way it was done.
1: That's amazing.
0: Yeah. And I really appreciate the convenience of it because it takes me a half hour to drive to that meeting and a half hour Mm -hmm. back. And uh, we're thinking for some of the larger meetings that we're going to continue with Zoom. Do you think that's going to be the case with the London meeting that you go to?
2: I
1: hope so. I believe that the man who started that meeting said he was going to continue on. Oh, good. Yes, because you know what? When he started the meeting at the beginning of the pandemic, what he decided to do was a 90 and 90. Mm -hmm. I started a little bit into the 90 days, Mm -hmm. but I mean, I was with these same people every day for i would say about 80 days wow. and it was amazing it was it was such a beacon of hope and strength during a dark time
2: yeah and
1: we all really got to know each other mm-hmm. and it really felt like a family yeah and it was it was just amazing
0: now how many years have you been sober
1: i was sober 8 years in march my anniversary is march 4th 2013.
0: It's eight years. That's amazing. Well, I noticed you guys have quite a presence on WhatsApp. I, I'm just amazed at the messages that go back and forth of support and hope and love. It's just, I never really did WhatsApp before. So this is a new experience for me, but I'm just amazed at how close people seem to be on that.
1: I'm new to it too. You know, what I've learned through this situation is AAs are really resourceful. Yeah. I mean, we heard about the Mm. pandemic, the shutdown, and right away, people figured out how to use Zoom. You know, we figured out how to connect. I'm originally from New Jersey, and I've been in Florida just about two and a half years. So when the shutdown started... Immediately, there were groups on Facebook for local meetings in New Uh Jersey that I had gone to when I was living there. And so everybody has managed to stay connected. And there's a lot of um, sharing about when meetings are support, like you said, people reaching out and hooking Mm. up with sponsors and other networking. It's remarkable.
0: Yeah, not to mention the new people who have never been to a live meeting.
1: That is amazing. It's a really a miracle. I've seen a few people who have started on Zoom and have reached their one year mark on Zoom.
0: So you've been sober eight years. And was that your first run at sobriety? Or had you tried previously?
1: No, it was not. My first Trip to AA was in mm-hmm. 1999 and I stayed sober mm-hmm. for a while and hmm. then I relapsed.
0: What was going on in your life in 99 that that made you decide to go into AA?
1: My drinking was out of control. Was mm-hmm. I was drinking every day and I was approached by hmm. my boss at work. He took me in for a talk and he said, you know, there's something wrong with you. He said what is it? And I said, I'm an alcoholic. He's the first person that wow. I ever acknowledged to mm-hmm. that I was an alcoholic. And at that time, he said, great, you said it. Now, what are we going to do about it? Wow. Yeah. So it was the, my first um, introduction to the we. He was not in recovery. No. But he knew yeah. people who were. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah, so he reached out to somebody, and uh,
0: I went to my first meeting. That's terrific. So he had a certain amount of respect for Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, absolutely. Instead of showing you a pink slip in the door when you told him you were an alcoholic, he offered to help by getting folks in touch with you.
1: Exactly. Wow,
0: that's amazing. So that was 99, and then how long did you stay sober in that first attempt?
1: Uh, About six and a half years. Really?
0: Wow. Wow. Yes. Wow. And were you active in the program during that period of time?
1: What happened was I, I started out, I have to say, I, had, I didn't want to go to AA under any circumstances because I had that contempt prior to investigation. My mother was an alcoholic and uh-huh. she had come to AA and I was just so resistant to, to going. Mm-hmm. But I do remember that the first time I went, I could immediately feel the love from the people that Mm -hmm. I met there. And Mm -hmm. I did start going and I started doing the steps with a sponsor Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and we finished steps four and five. And unfortunately that was as far as she had gone with her sponsor. Mm -hmm. So I was left with all that stuff and Mm -hmm. I felt uncomfortable and I felt like something was missing. Mm -hmm.
2: So instead
1: of, Uh, I started looking elsewhere for it. I started going Mm -hmm. on spiritual retreats and, Mm -hmm. you know, looking, reading Mm -hmm. a lot of books. And I started uh, cutting back on my meetings.
0: Mm -hmm. And eventually
1: Mm -hmm. I drank.
0: So six and a half years later, from the 1999, you drank. Did you find any of what you were looking for in any of those other approaches?
1: I found some relief and some comfort, but it was still wasn't enough.
0: Mm, mm. Now
1: I was still felt like something was missing.
0: Mm. Can you identify what that something was as you look back?
1: Love and acceptance of myself, I suppose. I still felt unworthy.
0: Mm -hmm. So after six and a half years, you went back out. How long did you stay out before you came in again?
1: I was out for two years. I had gotten in a relationship early on in those six years. Mm -hmm. And the man that I was with um, died. That's really what started off the drinking again.
2: And I drank,
1: I got to a point where I was drinking around the clock and I Mm. almost died. I was in the hospital for like two and a half weeks and then mm. I had to go to a subacute rehab because I couldn't walk, hmm. I couldn't write my name, I could, uh, mm. you know, I couldn't take care of myself. Mm-hmm. So that was a long haul. And um, after that, I thought, I, you know, I believed to the depths of my soul that I would never drink again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I didn't drink for three years, but I didn't come back to AA because I yeah. thought I was done. And then mm. one day. I just thought it would be a good idea to have a drink. (laughs) And I did. And very rapidly, I would say within six weeks, I was back to drinking almost around the clock. And everything kind of crashed and burned
0: quickly. What year was that?
1: That was in 2013.
0: So when you picked up the last time before, I guess, you finally got sober, was it that you couldn't recall what had happened the last time or didn't have the impact that it had at the time previously? Or was it that you didn't care? What, what was behind the picking up at that point?
1: No, I think I think it was um, that I didn't remember how bad it had been.
0: Right. Even though you're in the hospital, you're facing all of these, these consequences physically from the previous bout with the disease. When you decided to pick up again, it's as if that never happened or you just couldn't recall it with sufficient emphasis or?
1: Like it never happened. It would yeah. be different this time. Delusional, delusional yeah. thinking.
0: That sounds like a really rough road you had from 99 to 2013.
1: It was a really rough road. And there have been times in the past where I've regretted that I didn't get this program when I, at the first time I walked in the doors
2: mm-hmm. and I used
1: to have some shame around that.
2: But yeah. today
1: I accept that I had to go through everything that I went through and I had to um, drink every drink that I, I did to get where I am today. Yeah. And that today I love this program. I cherish my sobriety
2: Yeah,
1: and, uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And I never had that feeling in the past.
0: Yeah, isn't that amazing? And yeah. I, can, I can hear it in your voice and see it in your demeanor that there seems to be a real gratitude that's coming through for being sober now after everything you went through on that hard-fought road to finally getting sober. That's amazing. I'm tearing up a little. Yeah, that's okay. That's what this is. This is what it's all about. Um,
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: So you mentioned earlier that that your mother was uh, an alcoholic and in the program for a while. Do you remember about your early years and your family of origin that might have pointed you in the direction that you ended up on that road?
1: There's a lot of alcoholism in my family. Really? Um, both my parents were alcoholics.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Both my grandparents on my mother's side, my aunts and uncles. I'm the oldest of six children and mm-hmm. I have one brother who is not an alcoholic.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So all the rest of us have this disease. When I was young in early mm-hmm. grammar school, my father worked away from home. So he would yeah. only be home, you know, on the weekends or every other weekend.
2: Mm -hmm. So
1: Mm -hmm. what I remember is coming home from school and my Mm -hmm. mother would be passed out on the couch. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was a lot of chaos. She wasn't able to make us um, meals or really take care of us. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I was always being told to, you know, go away, leave her alone. Mm -hmm. So it Mm -hmm. was it was a scary time. Um, felt bet. very unsafe and, and unloved.
0: Yeah, that's a tough thing to feel when you're just a little kid. You said you were in grammar school when all when this was going on. So you had younger siblings who were also affected by this. They got home from the same school you were going to and had a encounter what you were seeing, huh?
1: Yes. And at the same time, I had a couple of siblings who were still young enough that they were home with my mother all day.
0: Oh, my. So. Yeah. Yeah. What was your dad doing when all this was going on? Was he aware of this at home or what was happening with him?
1: He was working away from home. So uh-huh. he would just be home on the weekends. Like he would come okay. home on a Saturday morning and mm-hmm. then have to go back to whatever location he was working at on mm-hmm. Sunday evening. So mm-hmm. I can remember that on Fridays and Sat, you know, early Saturday mornings, my mother would mm-hmm. be scrambling us. To clean up the house and make everything look as mm-hmm. if it were okay, whereas mm-hmm. it had been chaos all week long, you know, pretend like everything was under control when he got home. Mm-hmm. My father did know my mother was drinking, and I can remember from an, a young age hearing them argue about that. And mm-hmm. I remember the behaviors, the um, bottles hidden in different spots and I remember my father talking mm. about marking the bottles in the mm. actual cabinet, um mm-hmm. to see how much he was trying to keep track of how much she was drinking.
0: Mm-hmm. Did she find a way around that? Or did you perceive that she was still sneaking the drinks?
1: She was definitely yeah. still drinking. You know, I would go to pick something up out of the laundry hamper and there'd be a uh-huh. bottle hidden in there. Or it'd open up a cabinet and there would be part of a drink in there. Wow. You know. And those things frightened me. I remember being knowing it was wrong and being really afraid.
0: Yeah, that's a scary thing, especially when you're that young. So you were largely without a father during the week. Now, when he came home on the weekends, was he also drinking on the weekends or was he there for you and the and your siblings? Uh, he drank
1: also, but I would say huh. his alcoholism hadn't progressed to being really out of control at that point. But I don't remember really doing anything fun or anything like that. You know,
0: wow. he was just wow. there. Did this continue through your adolescence and into your teen years?
1: My mother stopped drinking for the first time when I was in like fourth grade.
0: Oh, OK. Okay. Yes. What was that like?
1: Well, originally, what had happened that stopped her was we were eating i remember I remember this so clearly it was easter it was the night before Easter, and mm-hmm. we were eating dinner at the dinner table, and she was drinking, and what happened was she passed out and she fell backwards in her chair oh, no. and cracked her head open on the dining room hutch. I thought she was dead. I remember being that that was it was really traumatic because she was bleeding and passed out. But um, she stopped drinking at that point. I think she went to AA a couple of times, but she didn't really stay. That was in the early 60s. So I right. don't think there were a lot of women in AA at yeah, that that's time. Right. But she stayed stopped for quite a while. And my father's alcoholism started progressing. And then they got divorced mm-hmm. when I was twenty years old after I had graduated nursing school, uh-huh. and she started drinking again.
0: So she stayed sober for ten years or so, or
1: more than ten, probably
0: twelve or fourteen.
1: Yeah, about that.
0: Wow! And but she did that without AA. Yes. So your exposure to how to stop drinking or whatever practical experience you had around somebody who wasn't drinking was somebody who was not in AA,
1: right? Initially. Mm. But I I don't think, I, you know, at that age, I didn't really think about it that much.
0: Yeah. So when did you have your first experience with alcohol?
1: I was in high school Mm -hmm. and I had had a fight with my boyfriend. I was 17.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: My parents were out and I remember going downstairs and finding there was a bottle of Something terrible like sherry or port <laughs> <laughs> that the pastor had given my parents for Christmas. Oh my. And I drank that. And the first time that I drank, I drank to get away from my feelings because I was upset. Oh yeah.
2: mm-hmm.
0: And
1: somehow, that's right what I went to, alcohol.
0: So it worked.
1: Yeah, it worked. I got sick and <laughs> felt terrible physically, but... You know, it was that my first drunk was to get away from emotional pain. Hmm.
0: The trade-off. So you got away from the emotional pain against the physical consequences, getting sick afterwards. Did you make the conscious decision to continue or did you say, that's enough of that, I'm going to stop? Or what was, your, what was your thinking at that time?
1: I didn't really drink again. I didn't make a decision to stop.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't drink a lot, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would drink at a party a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when my drinking really started taking off was when I went to nursing school.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, I went to nursing school in New York city and Mm -hmm. it was very stressful. It was a lot of work and, um, you know, the other girls drank. So that's when I started, uh, really drinking from the beginning. I kind of never knew how it was going to go. Sometimes I I could drink a lot and it would be okay. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I would drink and I would black out. Mm
0: -hmm. Was it with the same intent that you had drank that bottle of sherry or or whatever that was at the time? Was it to get away from the feelings or was it to relax? What what was behind that decision?
1: I would say it was a mix. Mm -hmm. I'm sure I was drinking more because of the stress, but it was also because... I was of age and we could and, you know, we would have parties. We would go out together and, Mm -hmm. you know, have dinner and have some drinks. And it was some of it was fun. Mm -hmm. Some of it, I would say, was a stress reliever.
0: Okay, so that would have been in the 70s. Were you also involved in drugs or pot or any of that sort of thing at the time?
1: No, not at that time. Mm
0: -hmm. A number of people I've interviewed just stuck to just drinking How did you find the alcohol affected you in terms of your studies and in terms of getting through nursing school? Did it make it harder, easier, or was it imperceptible?
1: I am sure I could have done better in nursing Mm -hmm. school if I hadn't been drinking.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I
1: don't remember consciously that I was um, physically sick, really, from drinking, but I would be tired.
0: (laughs) One of my earliest interviews was with a man by the name of Scott B., He actually was involved in teaching a course to medical students on alcoholism and drug addiction. One of the points he made was the... The lack of understanding and the very, very minimal training that prospective doctors and nurses get regarding the diseases of alcoholism and drug addiction. Do you recall uh, any courses that you had or was, was there anything within the curriculum that flew in the face of what you were doing on your own after hours?
1: Not at that point. Not at mm. that point. I remember we would, we learned... About different liver diseases, the impact of alcohol. We learned a little bit about alcoholism. It's a very small part of our curriculum Mm
2: -hmm, at mm -hmm. that time. As a matter
1: of fact, a year or two after I graduated, working in ICU and seeing a woman who was in there for alcoholism and she had esophageal bleeding, Mm. I can remember so clearly looking at her and thinking, how did she let herself get like this?
0: Hmm. So you, you could not draw any personal connection to what she was going through and what your future might hold?
1: Oh, not at that time, no.
0: Especially when we're that age and after graduating, it's so easy to feel unaffected by the rest by the rest of the world. But being a nurse, did you find you were a little bit more attuned to that from the standpoint of it affecting you positively or negatively, or, or were you detached from it and that's what helped you not in turn the potential for it to cause problems in your life
1: I don't think I tuned it out or anything I just think I lacked awareness
0: Uh uh-huh once you had your nursing degree you went to work as a nurse
1: I came back to New Jersey and and worked in New Jersey
0: Uh uh-huh so what did your drinking or your alcohol use look like in the succeeding years after you started working as a nurse in New Jersey
1: I should say, first, I got married right out of nursing school. Oh, you did? Yes, I was uh-huh. 20 years old. I was just, I wanted to get away from home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I was looking for love.
2: Uh-huh. Like I said, yeah. I was always
1: looking for love from an yeah. early age. So mm-hmm. I thought that that situation, being married, would make everything right. Now that I look back, I can understand that I was looking for relationships and situations to fix me and to give Mm. me what I was missing. Mm. And that marriage only lasted two years. I knew at the time that I was getting married that I shouldn't do it. (laughs) But, you know, I was I was afraid to say, I don't want to do this. It was like, everything was on a roll, moving forward, and I couldn't stop it. So Uh that marriage ended up being annulled.
0: I see. So is it fair to say that that marriage was unfulfilling?
1: Yes, it was. I was a new graduate nurse, and I was working different shifts, and the man Mm -hmm. I was married to worked days, and Mm -hmm. we were young, and there was a lot of partying, but, Mm -hmm. you know, because I was homesick for where I had grown up by the beach... It was just, we were just kind of on different paths.
0: Mm -hmm. Was he a drinker as well?
1: He was a drinker too. I, you know, I don't know where he is today. I don't think he, he did have alcoholism in his family, but I haven't seen him in many years, many, many years. So I don't know. Um, Mm. We certainly did our share of drinking at parties and, you know, I have no idea where he is today.
0: Yeah. Well, being married at 20 is, I think, difficult enough because maturity-wise, we're probably not at the point where we can be making really adult-type intelligent decisions, but the ability to actually get married at 20 and see it last for two years, do you feel that you walked away from that marriage with understanding or with confusion?
1: Confusion.
0: Yeah? In what way?
1: I felt like a failure because the marriage didn't work. Mm. And, you know, and that I was miserably unhappy. But I think that Mm -hmm. I carried that as my, you know, blame on myself. Yeah. That there was something Mm. wrong with me that it didn't work out.
0: Mm. Mm. Did that cause your drinking to increase or ratchet up? Or were you still drinking about the same at that point? What was your response to that?
1: I was slowly progressing, I would say. You know, I moved back to where I was from, um, Mm -hmm. you know, by the shore. And I worked with a young group of nurses and we would go out and after work and, um, you know, listen to music and drink. And, you know, it was, I was drinking a fair amount, but, you know, still having fun at that time, I would say. and Mm. It wasn't impairing my my work or anything mm-hmm. like that.
0: So were you keeping up with your friends? Were you leading your friends? Were you, were you behind their use? Were there other alcoholics or potential alcoholics in that group?
1: Probably potential alcoholics. Uh But around that time, when maybe when I was in my mid-20s, I was Mm -hmm. seeing a guy who suggested to me that perhaps I was an alcoholic. Really? um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How did he do that? I'm just curious. What what did he say to couch that particular uh, exchange?
1: (laughs) I guess I had had a lot to drink, and he said, I think he might be an alcoholic, and he wanted me to try to stop drinking. He had grown up in an alcoholic family. So he said, you know, see if you can stop. So I promised him that I would stop for six months. Yeah. And yep. Yeah, and wow. I didn't drink for six months. And I remember my friend saying to me at the time, oh, you're not an alcoholic. You know, I lasted six months. But I, I remember at that time, really, I couldn't wait till Those six months were up so I could prove to him that I wasn't an alcoholic and I could go ahead and go back to drinking.
0: Okay, so was that the longest you had been sober to that point? Yes. Did your stopping drinking at that point for six months, did that improve the quality of that relationship? Did it make it more bearable or were you miserable not drinking?
1: I was miserable not drinking. And again, what I've learned about myself looking back is Mm -hmm. I chose people who were like my mother, They were Ah. emotionally unavailable. And I kept picking the same type of relationship over and over again. And Mm -hmm. um, that's what this relationship was like. I can Mm. remember feeling very depressed and feeling my marriage had failed. This relationship wasn't working. I can't make anything work, you
2: know.
0: Hmm. So was that the feeling after six months when you started drinking again? Or was that something that came back gradually? Or when did that thought occur to you?
1: I would have to say that was pretty consistent through... I was with that guy for two years and probably towards the end of the two years.
0: Hmm. Oftentimes, whenever it was that I stopped drinking or using, I did it with the intent of maybe drinking or my drug use is the cause of my problem. And then I would stop for a little while, but not long enough for it to really affect me, but long enough to prove that it wasn't causing that problem. You know, I remember any time I would quit, it was with the intent of proving to myself that I could quit, but I never drew any kind of connection between the drinking and problems, so that whenever it was I started drinking again, I had eliminated drinking as a problem. Did that occur to you as well?
1: Yes, I can. I can agree with that. And I remember my belief at that time was just that this was my lot in life. Mm -hmm. These things were happening to me, and I remember Mm -hmm. feeling like a victim. Yeah, I don't remember feeling that I had um, knowing that I had any power to change any of that. You know, Mm, I was just a victim of my circumstances.
0: So taking a look forward from that particular time in your life till the point at which you got sober the first time in 1999, what did those intervening years look like in your life?
1: I left that relationship. And then shortly after, I met the man who would become my second husband. And I met him out at a bar, of course. Mm -hmm,
2: Sure. (laughs) And, um,
1: (laughs) you know, that was kind of... He needed rescuing, so I, I jumped right in and rescued him. Okay. And we got married after being together for only nine months. And um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we had fun in in the beginning of our marriage, but he he drank mm-hmm. like I did. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of drinking in our early marriage.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I remember we started to build a house, and yeah. he said to me, no more drinking on school nights. And I remember feeling Mm. really defiant at that time and saying, who's he to tell me when I can drink and not drink? And that's Mm -hmm. when the sneaking started taking off. And I I started, you know, I would stop and get something to drink before I went home and the hiding and all that. All those Mm -hmm. behaviors that had frightened me so much when I was little, Mm -hmm. you know, the hidden bottles and, And Mm -hmm. the sneaking and everything, I started doing them myself. Oh, my. And we were married for six years. Then I had a daughter. Mm
2: -hmm. I did
1: manage to stay sober or not drinking when I was pregnant. And Mm -hmm. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I remember that being a challenge. I remember wanting to drink. Yeah. Frustrated because I couldn't a little. But Mm -hmm. my drinking kind of slowed down then when she Mm -hmm. was young. Mm-hmm. A baby and, you know, into her younger years. But then it started, um, you know, I was unhappy in the marriage and
0: mm-hmm. I was
1: drinking, you know, started drinking more. My drink had definitely escalated when she mm-hmm. was in grammar school.
0: Wow. So. Once she was born and in her early years, baby, toddler, until she was in grammar school, were you trying to establish yourself as a responsible drinker or a moderate or occasional drinker for her sake? Or did you perceive any problem that was, a, was going on at the time that made you want to slow down?
1: Not really a problem. You know, we had a lot of friends and mm-hmm. we're pretty social and, sure. you know, friends would come to the house for dinner and we would drink. I don't remember trying to control it so much then.
2: Mm-hmm. It was still mm-hmm. at
1: the point where felt like we were still having fun. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, there were times when I would drink when I was by myself or before my husband got home from work.
0: We'll be right back. My friends, if you're enjoying AA Recovery interviews, check out my big book podcast, the complete, unabridged audio version of the first and second editions of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's an engaging word-for-word, cover-to-cover reading of all 11 chapters and original stories, including rare stories not published in the third or fourth editions. The big book podcast is produced by Howard L., who receives no remuneration for this vital AA service work. Listen to all 85 episodes by subscribing to the Big Book Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Or listen on BigBookPodcast.com. You'll know you've arrived when you see our logo, a first edition Big Book wearing headphones. And we're back. You were married for six years. Your daughter's in grammar school. So were you raising her by yourself at that point?
1: No, he w- my husband was there.
0: Oh, he was okay.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay. No,
1: I'm sorry. We were married for six years before we had her.
0: Oh, 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 okay. Okay. Yeah, I get it. I get yeah. it. Yeah. All right. Uh huh.
1: He was. Uh, no he he was there. Um, mm-hmm. and he was involved with her. He enjoyed. They enjoyed. Um, you know, doing things in nature, and he would mm-hmm. take her for walks, and she was interested in animals and everything. So he was a participant. You know, he participated in her her care. And Mm -hmm. um, he was into sports and did triathlons and this and Mm -hmm. that. You know, a lot of our weekends were revolved around what races he was doing or,
2: or, Mm -hmm. you know,
0: whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Looking forward from that point, she was in grammar school. And you said you started drinking more at some point along the way. Mm -hmm. What did that look like?
1: That started to look like drinking kind of whenever I could.
0: Really? I remember uh-huh.
1: like, oh, there would be a PTA meeting and I would go to that because I knew that the ladies all went out for a drink after. But I would drink <laughs> yeah. some before I went and, right. you know, go to the meeting, then go out with them and probably drink some more. It was more of a focus then. I see. By that time, I was I was drinking every day.
0: Every day. Were you still working as a nurse at that yes, point? Yes, I was. So you're working as a nurse, raising a child, drinking every day. How did you handle that?
1: It wasn't easy. I remember. I guess not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a kind of obvious question, but Uh, I had to ask.
1: No, it wasn't easy. But at the time, I thought I was managing okay, you know. Really?
0: (laughs) Uh, um, Yeah, sure.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I did what was called private duty that I just had I one see. person that I would take care of. So, you know, a lot of times it was the same routine day in, day out. So it wasn't really um, the most challenging type right. of job.
0: Right. And So if you were taking care of them, were you drinking on the job at that point? No. Okay. So you were still drinking every day and that continues until till 1999? Correct. So quite a few years, wasn't it, of just daily drinking, huh? Yes. Well, how would you rate those years? Miserable. <laughs> miserable. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Just miserable.
0: Did you ever draw a connection or did anyone ever try and help you draw the connection between your drinking and the misery of those years?
1: I did have a friend who mm-hmm. um we used to spend a lot of time together uh-huh. socially with um with other friends. And I um see. she uh-huh. pointed out to me. She, I remember going out to lunch with her, and we had a, a drink at lunch, and then we were, uh-huh. we went back to the car, and she took my hand, and she said, "Mary Celine, I think I think you might have a problem with alcohol," and she told me some things that she had noticed,
2: uh-huh.
1: you know. Um, going to her house for a Super Bowl party and she mm-hmm. said, it seemed like you were drunk when you came in. And mm-hmm. I was because, yeah. I, you know, I was at that point where I feared that there wouldn't be enough to drink at wherever I was going. So I would oh, drink yeah. some beforehand, mm-hmm. you know,
2: mm-hmm. and,
1: yeah. um, and they definitely, you know, she noticed that. So, and that was close to the time where, um, my boss at work also noticed and when i started going to aa
0: yeah so that was a real gift when he noticed that or was that just a bump in the road for you
1: i would say it was a real gift yeah. i don't think i was ready yet yeah. um uh-huh. unfortunately i had further to go yeah but it did give me a little bit of insight into aa because i could see it was it was working for some people mm-hmm. and i could see the love there mm-hmm. and the acceptance mhm I just hadn't surrendered at that point.
0: Now, in your early attempts, including, I think you said 99, you stayed sober for what, six years?
1: About six years, yeah.
0: Um, Were you actually working the program at that point or were you just going to meetings?
1: I was going to meetings. I would take, you know, service commitments Uh like the coffee and um, greeting. Uh I worked with my sponsor. I went through a few different sponsors in the beginning
2: uh-huh. till
1: I found this one woman. And um, we got to step four and five.
2: Uh-huh. And
1: then that was as far as she had gone with her sponsor. So, wow, yeah, we didn't really go any further. I think there was a point in time in, in AA, what I've heard from different people sharing, that they didn't do the steps the way they're written in the big book, um, that a lot of people just went to meetings and stayed sober that way. Mm.
0: So after six years, you went back out. How many years did you stay out at that point? Two years. And then you came back in. What were you thinking when you came back in That after that slip? Did you have any clue as to what went wrong the first time? How were you feeling?
1: I was feeling at that time... I felt so broken mm. and hopeless,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, I I had a big fear that I wasn't going to be able to get sober and stay sober. I see. But when I came back the second time, I do remember seeing women and men who had been there the first time I was there uh-huh. and they were still there and still sober. Yeah. So I had a glimmer of hope that it worked for some people. Yeah. So maybe it could work for me. And what happened was I was at a a women's meeting Uh and a woman came up to me and she said she asked for my phone Mm -hmm. number and said, could I give you a call? And she said to me, I went to nursing school with a girl named Mary Salina. And I said, oh, (laughs) wow, that's crazy. And so she called me and um, we were talking. she said, um, you know, where did you go to nursing school? Mm-hmm. went to St. Vincent's in Manhattan. Right. She said, Oh, so did I. And we talked about what year she had graduated uh, the year before me. My and we're thinking, wow, we were there at the same time. Then she asked me what floor I lived on. And we both lived on the seventh floor. And then I realized something about this woman seemed familiar uh-huh, to me.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And, I realized that she had been my big sister in nursing school.
2: Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> yeah, this was crazy. And wow. I get goosebumps every time I tell this story yeah. because she was from New York right. and I was from New Jersey. We met in nursing school uh-huh. and I hadn't seen her for 36 years. Wow. And here she is. She had moved to New Jersey. She was living in my area and I I run into her in an AA meeting wow. and she became my sponsor.
0: That's amazing.
1: And she took me through the steps. Wow. The way they're written in the big book.
0: Wow, from big sister to sponsor in a 36-year period. That's amazing.
1: Yep, isn't that amazing? That is amazing. And that to me was divine intervention
0: yeah, that, for sure. That sounds like a that sounds like a god deal to me. It sure does. Mm-hmm. Wow, that is so cool. So uh, how long had she been sober uh, by the time you guys got together?
1: She had been sober 11 years.
0: So unlike the sponsor you had in your first stint, she had worked all the steps and she was involved yes. in the program?
1: Very involved, yes. Yeah,
0: you must have learned a lot from that.
1: Oh, I did. I did. She was amazing. We spent. She spent so much time with me.
0: Uh-huh.
1: We read through the big book
2: yeah.
0: page
1: by page. And, you know, really did thorough steps Uh and it made all the difference in the world.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. So you stayed sober at that point until when? Till now. Okay. So we're talking the intervening period between the second time you got sober and your last time getting sober.
1: Well, when I, I had that first period. For six. Then I drank for two years and then, yeah, almost died. Then I had three years but not going to meetings. Oh, yeah, that's
0: right. Okay.
1: And then that brought me to 2013. Wow,
0: that's amazing. So what was it like going back into the rooms of AA with that kind of person on your side, with a sponsor of that quality?
1: Oh, it made a huge difference. I can remember feeling, you know, before I met up with her, going back and feeling ashamed and being concerned about how people would look at me think of me mm-hmm. and they really were very loving That's great. and accepting
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah so mm-hmm. um that taught me a huge lesson for you know how to welcome people i feel that i can i can help people who have relapsed yeah. you know i think god bless the people that walk in the doors and never drink again yeah. But that hasn't been my experience and that promise of no matter how far down the scale we have gone, our um, experience can benefit others has really come true for me.
0: I've noticed that, too, whenever people come back, the degree to which the people who were there while that person was out welcoming them back and assuring them that the only thing that's changed is their sobriety date and nothing they learned the first time is is eradicated, but instead it goes into the experience column for them and and being able mm-hmm. to know what it's like. So Mary Celine, you have something that I don't have at 33 years. What I don't have that you do have is the experience of having gone out and come back in. Mm. And I don't know if I w- ever went out that I'd make it back in because of the feeling that this is something I've worked hard for many, many years, and I've done it for so long that To go out would be throwing away a huge, huge, important part of my life. So the the kind of experience and um, extraordinary insights that you're able to bring back in, given what happened to you, I think is such a gift to the people who are are in the program. So how long did it take you to get through the 12 steps?
1: We started from scratch and went through the steps the way she had been taken through them with her sponsor. Mm -hmm. We met every week for the first few steps mm-hmm. and then you know when we got to four and five it was every other week and we spent a few weeks on those mm-hmm. i would say you know we went through in a couple of months cool. maybe three months and um at this time i looked at the program so much differently uh-huh. i did lose my job oh. as a result of that that relapse mm-hmm. i wasn't working and i i completely immersed myself in the program. Mm,
2: mm-hmm. Where
1: I lived we were really fortunate because there were many, many meetings. Yeah. And um, you know, I went to two, sometimes three meetings a day.
2: Yeah.
1: And stayed really close to her and and um really got into I as they say in England in the middle of the bed, I'm used to yeah. in the middle of the herd. Yeah. So um, I got a good network of really strong, sober women. Mm-hmm. And I followed the suggestions mm. that I had kind of taken hit or miss the first time around.
0: That's, that's terrific. Uh, do you remember the first time in this most recent period of sobriety that you were finally able to exhale in terms of your membership in Alcoholics Anonymous, where you finally felt like maybe you were in the middle of the bed or the middle of the herd?
1: I would say shortly after meeting my sponsor,
0: uh-huh.
1: reconnecting with her. I remember feeling that pretty pretty early on, mm-hmm. going back mm-hmm. to when I really feel like I was, um, felt like I could yeah.
2: breathe.
0: Yeah.
1: I would say after we did four and five again. And then when I started moving on, you mm-hmm. know, and when I made my amends, that... Really yeah. gave me doing four and five this time with this sponsor really kind of um, gave me a sense of relief and freedom. The first time I was in, I know now looking back that I really wasn't honest. Sure. I didn't realize it at the time, but I wasn't able. Mm -hmm. My things, I had to be broken down. Mm -hmm. I was so afraid to ask for help. I was so afraid to say, I want a drink. You know, I couldn't even be honest with myself. So mm-hmm. the second time around, I, I really yeah. was able to be very honest and open.
0: Yeah, that's great. That's kind of how it was with me and my sponsor, where once he had taken me through the steps, I finally felt like I was a member of AA because I had lied so long in meetings about where I was at in a program that I wasn't working, but trying to convince everybody that I was that uh, when he said, you got to get in the middle of the herd and you'll know it when you get there. That's kind of like it was, was for me, too. Speaking of of service work and other things, were you involved in sponsorship or what did your service work look like in in your number of years you've been sober?
1: After I went through the um, the steps with my sponsor, Eileen, then she said, you're ready to sponsor other women. And I have sponsored, you know, a fair number of women. Some have stayed, some have not, you know. I have had a sponsee who just couldn't uh-huh. get honest about her drinking and she died. Um mm-hmm. I, it was heartbreaking, heartbreaking. And I, you know, I said to her, I know, you know, I've been where you are. But mm-hmm. you know, yeah. they say we can't give it away, you know. Yeah. The person has to want it. But I've found tremendous mm-hmm. gratitude in sitting down with a sponsee and going through the book mm-hmm. and doing the work. And that just um, reinforces my gratitude for for the program. It's I yeah. feel like it's really strengthened yeah. my sobriety. And, um, you know, I try to reach my hand out whenever I can. And I find I don't push myself yeah. on people. I find that... If I let it be, the people who mm-hmm. the people who need to work with me will will find me, and vice versa.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the whole thing about Alcoholics Anonymous being a program of attraction, I think there's no more obvious place that that is true than in the people who approach us to be their sponsors. Oh, definitely. Because I've I've always felt like the guys who I sponsor, and I sponsored a lot of men over the years, and a number of them are still around with long term sobriety, but. Uh, you know, it seems like their issues, strangely enough, are my issues. Mm -hmm. Their difficulties and struggles are are mine. And sometimes I think my higher power kind of sets that up in a way to not only help me help them, but to help me help me Mm -hmm. and to help them help me. And it's it's just a beautiful synergy. Uh, Have you found that to be the case as well? Yes. And what I do,
1: I remember the first time that I was in... um, they said get a sponsor so i just like randomly picked someone and i can remember when feeling like it it wasn't really um comfortable for me Uh but looking at it it is like oh i can't i can't tell her i want to work with somebody else and Uh so when i meet women today and they (laughs) ask me to be their sponsor i always say you know explain to them in the beginning this isn't a marriage and you know We'll try it, you know, we'll do temporary until we make sure that we're both comfortable. And
0: that's great. You
1: know, if you feel that this isn't Mm -hmm. right for you, then you can find another woman. But I'll be here Mm -hmm. until if you feel comfortable. And um, Mm. so that's worked out well for both of us. You know, and I have had sponsees that um, that I've had to let go. I did work in the field for a little while and they had a saying, Mm -hmm. you know, if you're working harder than Mm -hmm. they are, there's something wrong. And I had a -hmm. a girl who Mm -hmm. was, who's doing well. And we started on the steps and we were up to eight and Uh she, um, she was getting things back and was very busy. And, you know, I said, you know, we really need to get back on these, Mm. the steps. And, um, she just said, Well, if you really want me to do them. And I said, That's not what it's about. You need to want them. So,
0: yeah. And I know I'm kind of the same way as you are in that I I, I meet people where they are and I try and uh, help them, but I don't push them. I think the days of sponsors saying "Don't call me until you've done your fourth step" uh, those days have come and gone. I'm I'm much gentler about that, and I basically say, you know, if we cannot move on with the steps until you do the step that needs to be done, so I, I perceive you 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 have the same approach towards that exactly let me ask you in the in the remaining time that we have mary Celine, can you recall any times during the past eight years where you've faced some really significant challenges or occurrences or events that stretched the limits of your sobriety or made you think maybe i ought to take a drink and you didn't
1: i know there hasn't been a time i've had circumstances i yeah. lost my job i got laid off yeah that job in the in uh, the field, which I loved, I um, I lost that. I got laid off, and I was really sad about that. And then a couple months later, I ended up in the hospital, yeah. pretty sick with um, an autoimmune disease,
2: uh-huh. yeah. and I was
1: in the hospital for a week. And I had no insurance and it was, you know, it was a little scary time and I was, I was really quite sick. So I had no insurance, Mm -hmm. no job, no money. The thought of having a drink absolutely never crossed my mind. And I haven't had that, that obsession. It's wonderful. And desire to to drink has been removed from me. Um, I feel so firmly entrenched in, in AA that, you know. I I haven't had any desire, and I'm really grateful for that because I did struggle with that the first time around, that obsession.
0: Quite a spiritual bank account if you got through all of that without drinking. Sounds like you were working the kind of program that supports us through that experience.
1: I believe so. Yeah. I really feel carried. I feel that today I have that faith that no matter what I have to go through, Mm -hmm. I'll be okay. I really have that belief that I am never alone. You know, I feel really connected these days to the program and to the fellowship. I have to say, too, after over the past year plus Uh since we've been in lockdown, I just looked at Uh this as an amazing opportunity. I have Uh gone to more meetings in... (laughs) Mm. I love it. I love it. It has been such a gift, I think, that I can get on a meeting and be with, I'm getting goosebumps again, can get on a meeting and be with people from mm-hmm. all these different countries all around the world and still like mm-hmm. have that connection. And we had uh-huh. the same problem and we have the same solution today. And it's so, it's been amazing. And I feel like this has really enriched my my sobriety and given me so much more uh, gratitude
0: yeah yeah i was going to ask you about some of the gifts that you've experienced over the last eight years but sounds to me like you just listed one of your one of your favorite gifts of the program and i know it's been that way for me as well
1: one other one other huge gift is um now my daughter is uh she'll be 33 on sunday Uh four years ago she got a job offer in florida And I had lived Uh my whole life, as I told you, in New Jersey within Uh pretty much a five-mile radius and Uh never could picture myself moving. And Mm. when she moved to Florida, she's my only – she said, why don't you move down here? And when I got laid off from that job and, um, you know, after I had that health issue, Mm -hmm. I decided – I would move down here with her. So I'm really grateful for that today. I've retired from nursing.
2: Uh
1: I just, I love my life today. I'm just, but the first thing I did as soon as I got myself settled where I was living was to Uh go find meetings because I knew that I Mm -hmm. needed to connect with AA right away. And Mm -hmm. um you know, meet my new people. So I yeah. went to that beach yeah. meeting and uh, started making my connections here.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you what that was like for you because I think it was my last guest, uh, Emily, who talked about when she moved from Kansas to Houston and how difficult it was because the meetings weren't like they were where she was. And how did you find the adjustment to meetings and to the people in AA in Florida?
1: That was a little bit of an adjustment. It feels it? like here the meetings are more fragmented. Where I lived in New Jersey, we would have people that would come for vacation for the summer because it was by the beach. I see. And down right. here, there are a lot of snowbirds, people that come for the winter right. and then then leave. Mm-hmm. So when I lived in New Jersey, I would see the same people almost every day at different right. meetings. Mm-hmm. You know, we could support each other in our progress and in sobriety and Uh more of a community feel here. It's a little more separate. Like I'll see somebody at this meeting. I won't see him until a week later at at the next meeting. Yeah. So that was a little bit of a challenge for me, but you know, I always find that I um, gravitate towards the people that I need to be with. And I found an amazing sponsor down here and
0: oh you did yes
1: I did at that beach meeting so
0: oh, <laughs> yeah wow. so and oh, she's wow. a
1: nurse too so
0: <laughs> wow <laughs> so. And she helped hook you up with meetings and people and that sort of thing
1: she did and other people that I met along the way so I just did you know trial oh. and error to you know it was a whole yeah. new story so um, go to different meetings to find where I felt I fit and um, am getting what I need
0: hmm So as we wrap up, could I say you are living in contented sobriety? Oh,
1: yes, definitely. Definitely. Now, I I love my life today, and Mm -hmm. I know that that's due to my sobriety. And I wouldn't have my sobriety Mm -hmm. if it weren't for for the um, program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the fellowship.
0: Yeah, yeah. I feel the same way, and it came through loud and clear today in our discussion. And uh, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. This has been really beautiful, uh, Mary Celine, And I've so enjoyed getting to know you during the time we spent together today, but little bits and pieces of you over the last year, it's been really remarkable.
1: I know. It's an amazing situation. I know. I love when it says in the big book where people who would normally not mix and through this... um pandemic where like I'm um, meeting people that I never would have had the the gift of meeting. Yeah. So I've enjoyed meeting you too so much and seeing you on different meetings well, um, here and there. So And I thank you so much for asking me to do this.
0: Thank you. I love you. And I appreciate your candor today because a lot of people come into this really kind of nervous about what they should and shouldn't say. But what I find is that when they're just talking from the heart, everything that needs to be said is said. Does that make sense? Yeah, it
1: does. And I used to be so afraid to let people see me, but now it's like this is who I am, and (laughs) and speak from my heart. I get so much when other people speak from the heart. Yeah. You know, I hope I said something that might help somebody somewhere along the way.
0: And there's no telling who hears it, who does something a little different just because of something you said. We don't know how we're going to touch people's lives, but I can be, I I feel pretty certain that that some of the things you said today will strike a responsive chord with other women out there. Uh, Those who've had the same struggles or not, or those who identify uh, with, with uh, the kind of sobriety you've had, which to me is just, is just a beautiful thing. So again, many thanks.
1: Love you, Howard. Thank you.
0: Well, my friends, that's it for AA Recovery Interviews. Thanks to Mary Celine L. for sharing her story, and thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed AA Recovery Interviews, please share it with your fellow AAs, sponsees, friends, loved ones, and anyone else seeking a rich and meaningful listening experience. Show them how to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and other podcast providers. If you really liked it, I'd be most grateful if you can give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It'll help others find us. Visit our website, aarecoveryinterviews.com, where you can listen to every show, share your comments, and also contact us. If you want to email me directly, it's howard at aarecoveryinterviews.com. And please join the AA Recovery Interviews Facebook group where our fellowship gathers online. The next episode of AA Recovery Interviews is on the way, so keep coming back. It'll be here soon.